Hey, this is Taylor. Welcome to another message from Elevate Retake. We are continuing on with our sermon series, Rethinking Church, and the title of this message is I'll Show You the Receipts. A key text we will be taking a look at is found in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 2, and it reads, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly, in spite of great opposition. Your engaged question to think about as you listen to this message is, what holds you back from sharing the gospel? Glad you gathered this morning. Recognize maybe some new faces that are here today if you're visiting for the summer or in town because you went to uh, a college that's not named Southwestern Adventist University. We're glad that you're back here with us this summer. This summer, we are rethinking church. We're diving into a series called Rethinking Church, just that, looking at faith and community in light of Jesus' return. So I invite you to first today turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. You might be thinking, hey, why, what are we doing in Acts? I thought we were going to be in Thessalonians today. Well, we're going to get to Thessalonians, but there's some things in Acts that we have to take care of first that enlighten our understanding of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you're in Acts chapter 17, you could also kind of flip over and hold your finger at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 because we're going to move there very quickly. We're not going to spend long here on this passage, but we have to understand what's going on in the context in order to be able to get the message that God has for us today. So here's how it reads. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphilopolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. And, was, and as Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. And he says, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Here's the context. Paul and Silas, they're on this missionary journey through the Greco-Roman world and they find themselves in Greece traveling through a town called Thessalonica. They spent three weeks there. It was Paul's custom that he would visit the synagogue in the town. He would come by the church, and he says, I'm reasoning with people. I'm opening up scriptures. And the biggest thing that the Jewish church struggled with and potentially still struggles with today is the recognition that Jesus Christ, the man who came 2,000 years ago, is unequivocally the Messiah. And Paul is wrestling with this church. He's saying, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that you've been hoping for. And it persuaded a few people. There's a group that had gathered. He started a church plant and included some of the Jews, but there were also some Greeks there, men and women. But there's a disturbance in the city. We'll see this in Acts 17, verse 5. But some of the Jews were jealous. Go figure, right? Guy rolls into town, takes half the church away. Wouldn't they be jealous? So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. What an amazingly Christian thing to do, right? Disagree with someone, let's go to the middle of town, get some people behind us, we're going to grab our pitchforks and our torches, we're going to give them what's what. 
And they attack the home of Jason, poor Jason. He's, it's where he's mentioned in scripture. And he's just, he gets the seconds of everything. They're searching for Paul and Silas, but they go to Jason's home because likely Paul and Silas were staying with Jason. And so they could drag them out to the crowd. In verse 6, not finding them there, they dragged out Jason, poor guy, and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they are here disturbing our city too. Verse continues in verse 7, and Jason was wel- uh, has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. And I want to pause there. We'll go back to verse 7. Sorry, Allie, I told you I was going to go all the way through, but we're going to pause right here. Here's what's going on in the city. Paul and Silas and Timothy have come in, and they are proclaiming that Jesus is king. It gets them in trouble. The Jews are saying, no, 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 no. The only king we serve is Caesar. And let me tell you today that that is a very, very dangerous place to be in. When our allegiance to a local political power supersedes our allegiance to God, it's a dangerous place to be in. The Jews here perhaps had gotten so religious in their keeping of the law that they had turned political and they could not see the difference between the governing body of the state and the God whom they served. That is a very dangerous place to be in. He's saying, Jesus isn't Lord, Caesar's our Lord. For what it's worth, we don't have time to unpack that completely today, but just take that free of charge. Verses continue, verses 8 and 9. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. The officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. The following verses will say, Paul continues on. He leaves the town under cloak of night. The believers say, Paul, get out of here. Silas, get out of here. It's too dangerous for you right now. We're going to take care of this. Now there's a gap in the story. Paul will continue on to different groups of believers across Macedonia, but Acts falls silent about the church in Thessalonica. But from our reading of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 today, we're going to see that somebody's got some beef with Paul. There's some things going on that they are trying to undermine the work of Paul and call his character into question. There's someone who's smearing Paul's name. Paul's a deserter. When things got difficult, he just, he, he, he had it out. He took off, didn't even care. He doesn't care about you, the church in Thessalonica. No, 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 no. He's just an opportunistic, traveling preacher. Let him go. But Paul's got some reckoning to do with this person or people or group who has been smearing his name. And as popular a term has come recently, Paul has come to bring the receipts to show the church in Thessalonica and the rest of the world that he serves a living God. And that he has integrity towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he did not come to deceive, but to share good news with the people in Thessalonica. You've been there, right? Maybe you've purchased something from a store, brought it home. Ah, it didn't fit. Ah, the part wasn't right. You go searching for the receipt. You dig through your purse. You dig through your wallet. Through the car, you pull out some 
some fries. No, that's not the receipt. Dig through the trash, trying to find that piece of paper that says, I purchased this from this store on this date, and this paper gives me the right to come back and say, hey, this was defective. Hey, this didn't fit my size. Hey, this, this just isn't work, working for me. Can I give you the item back so I can get the money that I gave you in the first place? That's what Paul brings today, that crinkly piece of paper. He says, I'm going to show you the receipts of my time in Thessalonica and let you be the judge of what we were doing in that small community. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. You ready? All right, thank you, Samu. Appreciate that. All right, Samu, here we go. We're going to go through Scripture together today, all right? Just you and me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. To some it could have looked like a failure, but it was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and know how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare this good news to you boldly, in spite of great oppression, opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. Paul, the the pleasant writer, Silas, the ones who have come and written this letter to the church in Thessalonica have started off with such beautiful, graceful, elegant words that they're praying for the community and they want grace and peace to flow for them. And they said, all right, we got to get to the point of what this letter is about. Because there's some people that have been saying some stuff about us and we've got to get this straight. But what our motive is, why we are coming to you. It's common practice at that time that traveling preachers would go throughout the land and they would solicit the, the support of donors and sponsors to be able to do what they, would be, what they were doing. Preaching, philosophizing, entertaining. And so they'd go to the town center, they'd stand up on a box or something that gets them above and they'd start speaking. And through elegant words and speeches, they would solicit a donor. They would have someone that could take care of their food, that could take care of their needs while they're in the community. But it was often that these street preachers were corrupt as they plagued upon the innocent young youth and sexual desire. They plagued upon the pockets of the city and would become a burden to the city until they were kicked out. And Paul says, you know, and Philippi, how much we suffered. We were beaten, we were bruised, we were dragged out and publicly flogged, naked in the streets. How humiliated we were in Philippi. Don't you bet that we came with pure mission and pure motives in Thessalonica. Because we know what might be in store for us when we publicly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can't you see? We're here before you. We've got words to share, a gospel to proclaim good news, and we did not fail when we were with you in Thessalonica only three weeks. Oh, no, we did not fail. Continues on, verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Verse 5. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as, we, as you well know. And God is our witness that, you, that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Paul postures himself and Silas as Timothy, and Timothy as entrusted stewards. They're entrusted with the gospel. They were the ones that were were given the opportunity to carry forth this gospel of good news. 
church. And their purpose was to please God, not to please people. So we don't care how you treat us. We don't care what might happen here. We have come to proclaim good news. Our motives are pure. We've never sought flattery. There's no cloak of greed, no pretense of friendship that might make you think that we're trying to get your money. We're not glory-seeking. The only glory that we're seeking is that of God. The gospel is something heavy. Yes, it's light, and it brings good news, and it shines forth. But for Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they said, this gospel, we've, we've been entrusted as stewards with this gospel. This gospel is so precious to us that we won't let the slander of our name shift or change what this gospel is because we were entrusted with something important. How would we see each other, our church, our community, the Bible, the gospel? If we, if we looked at the gospel and said, this is so important that I don't want anything that I do to taint the beautiful picture of who God is. Now, yes, God is powerful. He, can, he, can, he, he smears over all kinds of mess-ups that we have. Paul makes the point unequivocally that his reputation is tied to the gospel, and he cannot let his smeared reputation change people's perspective about the gospel. Here's the thing. How we care for something entrusted to us says a lot about what we think about the owner. Maybe you've rented a house or maybe you rent out an apartment or a house. As you are a renter or a rentee, you come to know what somebody else might think about you by how they treat your property. Right? They didn't think too highly of me. Wow, they really took care of this property. That really says something. When we bear someone else's goods, things, or reputations, how we treat that says what we think about the person who gave it to us. That's what Paul makes the point about the gospel. He says, God's given us this gospel, how we carry it and how we hold it so purely that we owe so much to God. We've been called to carry this gospel in purity towards you so that others might see who Jesus is. Paul shows himself as an image of an entrusted steward carrying the gospel. Continues on, verses 7 and 8, shares a different image of how they were treating the people there in Thessalonica when they came. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead, we were like children among you. Or, or better, we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Paul, Silas, and Timothy shift from the image of the entrusted steward to that of the gentle mother. Since we weren't a burden to you as other street preachers might be. No, 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 no. We were gentle among you. We were like children. We were like mothers taking care of her children. Think about that for a moment. Your mother, your grandmother, motherly figure in your life, how your mom has gently taken care of you and held your hand and prayed for you in some of the most difficult times. Paul says, we're caring for you like a mother cares for their own children. Don't even have to look far in nature to see what mama bears think about their bear cubs. Or mama elk or moose think about their young calves. 
There ain't nothing getting in between a mother and her child. And Paul says, with, with this affection and this care, this gentleness, we've come to you to care for you. We love you so much. We're not here to abuse you, to move you around and just upset the order of this world. No, we're here to share our love with you. And in fact, we're caring for you as if you were our own children. Remember when I was younger, there were some nights, you know, you have, you have nightmares, you wake up, and it's just, it's difficult to sleep. And I remember going and knocking on my, my parents' door, you know, Mom! Mom! You know, you, you, you've done it, right? Or maybe you have kids that do that. And, and it just starts to get louder and longer. Mom! And finally, she comes out and go back to bed. I remember those moments where she would sing softly to me. And the next thing I knew, the sun was shining through the window and I was ready to face another day. It's that gentle care of a mother that is so needed in our community and in our world. We need our mothers. And we also need to treat others with motherly love and care. And Paul doesn't stop there. He says, we were bonded together. We didn't even, not only did we share that love and that affection and that gentle motherliness with you, but our own lives. We weren't just peddling these words for you to kind of pick up and look at and like, oh, that's cool. And like set that aside. So, blood, sweat, and tears we were spending. We were devoting our entire lives together that were bonded after this experience. Maybe you've worked at summer camp or you really enjoy your job, or I think back to our gym exile just a few months ago, and the group of us that had to work on that for day in and day out, week after week. I say it was six weeks. Jonathan will say it was seven. It was seven. Blood, sweat, and tears we poured into facilitating worship for this community, and that bonded us. We shared our lives together. We broke bread in the form of pizza together. Late nights, early mornings, we were together in the midst of this. And this is what Paul is saying. When I was with you, oh, church of the Thessalonians, I was in the foxholes with you. I was there rubbing shoulder to shoulder. We were sharing blood, sweat, and tears. We're in this together. And that love and that compassion that exudes from Paul almost makes me weep loved you so much. We shared not only the good news, but we shared our lives as well. Good news must be embodied for it to make a difference. Paul says this love that we had for you, we embodied that towards you, and we walked side by side every place that we went. A commentator by the name of Clark comments on this passage, all changers of lives have been men and women who have mingled themselves with their truth. It's not good enough just to hold on to truth. And we, in Adventism, we do really good, or really poorly, depending on how you look at, at holding on to truth. We worship on the right day. We eat the right foods. We wear the right clothes. But a truth, and some of those even I like, well, let's go back to Scripture and see what Scripture has to say. But the truth from Scripture, if it does not inform how we live and breathe, 
it is no good to us or the people around us. It's one thing to know unequivocally from Scripture and to quote all the texts that the seventh day is the Sabbath, but do our lives attribute to the fact that the seventh day, Friday sundown to Sabbath sundown, is the time that we set some things aside, that we protest the the, the, the hamster wheel of this world, of the go, 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 and maybe it's a slow, slow, slow. Do our lives reflect the gospel that we claim has changed us? The last image Paul, Silas, and Timothy use in this letter to share with the church in Thessalonica and the broader community what was going on while they were there in Thessalonica is that of a wise father. We've seen the entrusted servant. We've looked at the gentle mother, and now it's the wise father. And we pick the verse back up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses. He's calling for help. He's saying, hey, you, you saw us. Speak up. And so is God, by the way, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you. We encouraged you and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Paul says, we were preaching day and night, man. And in order to not be a burden, it's likely that Paul was in the town square. He had sent a set up shop. He was a tent maker by trade, and he would work during his off hours during the day and into the night to make a living for himself. Now, don't get me wrong. While he was making those tents, he was visiting others. He was sharing the gospel every single place that he went. But he says, I don't want to be a burden on you in this community. This gospel is so precious to me and so passionate to me that I don't want you to pay a dime for me to share it with you. Thankful, but that's not how this relationship is going to work. Day and night, we toiled with you. And it's interesting, in, in the Greek mindset, Paul and his team would have looked like losers. Like, they didn't have anything going for them because the success of a Greek street preacher looked at his ability to stand up and amass a following and a big sponsor and some donors. Paul, Silas, and Timothy say, no, we're going to take the low road. We don't wish to be a burden for you. We don't want to appear as a parasitic preacher. We want to set the example of what it looks like to be in community with one another, the fellowship of all believers, the priesthood of all believers. And we're all on this same page together. And Paul calls check here. He says, hey, let's look at the receipts. You are witnesses, and God is a witness. I'll show you the receipts. Here's everything that we did while we were with you. We exhorted and encouraged and charged. We pled with you. We encouraged you. We urged you in the right way to walk. Remember, when I was younger, and even still to this day, my dad's really good at asking me the tough questions. Some of you resonate with that father or the father figure in your life that urges you, that pleads you. And it was amazing from about, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, like my dad knew nothing. 
And then about two or three years later after that, he had all of a sudden learned so much and he was so wise. Like, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't get it. There was a couple years in there that was just like, what are you doing, Dad? <laughs> we need fathers in our community to plead with, to urge, to encourage, not in spite with heavy hands, but in love. Paul shares this image that he's entrusted, he's an entrusted servant. He's a gentle mother and a wise father, all three coming together to share his experience in the Thessalonican community. And here's Paul's task. He's tasked with re-socializing the new believers into a new way to be human, to live different than the Jewish synagogue said, to live different than what the Greek society said. And sometimes, uh, you know, old habits die hard, right? You've got to have somebody that's got some accountability in your life that says, like, no, like, Okay, you, you, you really need to quit messing around. Like, this is the thing that you need to do. That was Paul to this community. But here's the blessing of being re-socialized from one way to live to a new one after Paul has been done encouraging and pleading and urging them. He says, you are part, you have share in God's kingdom and glory. Paul calls the church in Thessalonica to live as sharers in God's kingdom and glory. And by the way, there was nothing that the Thessalonican church, the Thessalonian church, did in order to earn that share in God's kingdom and glory. Are you get an amen on that? Nobody? Okay. There's nothing that they did. God extends that to the church in Thessalonica, and he extends that to us as well. There's not a single thing that we can do to earn that. We can't pay enough money. We can't do enough things. We can't attend enough Elevate services, although we'd love for you to come back next week, of course. But the call is to live as if we are already in the kingdom because we are already in the kingdom. Not by our own works, but by God's grace and calling in our lives. In a way, it's heaven on earth. And I think that's a beautiful picture. Today, we don't have time to dissect 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 through 16, which are part of the larger pericope of this passage because we spent so much time on the three images that Paul brings forward. We're going to talk about it on the podcast this week, so if you want to catch that little nugget, stay tuned to the podcast. But here's some thoughts on where we find ourselves today. As we've looked at the entrusted servant, the gentle mother, and the wise father. Why can Paul say that all of this about himself, Right? He's, he, he's like very upfront. And it seems almost as if he might be boasting or, or saying something that's like, all right, Paul, like, you know, like chill a little bit. Let's kind of calm this back. You've got some harsh words. Paul, Silas, and Timothy could say the words that they said because they did the words that they said. They didn't come into the Thessalonican community saying, hey, we're going to be an entrusted servant of the gospel. We're going to be your gentle mother and your wise father. No, no, no. They came into the community and simply did those things. The words that they share in the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians come from lives lived out, poured out into the community. And I think often as, as we think about church and what it looks like for us to fellowship together as we're rethinking church this summer, Maybe we shouldn't be worried so much about our outward appearances, but maybe we should just go do the thing that Scripture calls us to do. That we live lives according to the joy of the gospel that it's been extended towards us. 
Too often we're so worried about our appearance that we forget about the embodiment called to live lives as sharers in God's kingdom and glory. Instead of worrying about how we might appear a particular way, we should just go do the thing. I'm not worried about our church being a lovely or loving church. What I'm concerned about is that we love. I'm not worried about this church being a friendly church. I'm worried that, are we friends? Because we can be friendly, right? And that can be an appearance, a hi, happy Sabbath. It's code word to say like, okay, yeah, like we're on the same page. We're doing the same thing, right? But are we friends? In this community, do we see people around us, not only the people that we walked in here today with, but those that might be sitting down the pew from us, or maybe those of you that are online, the back, top, bottom, wherever you're at, are we friends? Because I think those that are outside of these walls will see people that are friends and say, I need some friendship. I don't care if we're friendly. I mean, we need to be that, but we don't have to worry about the appearance of friendship if we are truly friends. Paul's exhortation in this chapter spoke to me this week. The gospel changed his life and it changed the lives of those, the church in Thessalonica. He lived an example, held himself accountable to that. We're wrestling with that, what that looks like in our community. How do, how do we express worship? But I think what's most important out of this passage of Scripture, what 1 Thessalonians is trying to tell us is say, hey, you can talk all day about being friends. You can talk all day about being entrusted with the gospel. You can talk all day about, hey, we should have some loving mothers and we should have some wise fathers and all those things. Church, we've got to do the thing. We've got to do the thing that the gospel has called us to do so that in every single relationship that we have, the gospel is lived out. Words can fall empty, but in these times, and especially in these times, words often fall empty. Frustrated with politicians and leaders who say one thing and then turn around and do another, maybe God is calling up a church that says, hey, we live our lives according to scripture. We're going to live that out in loving deed toward anyone and everyone that we come into contact with. And here's what Isaiah says about Paul's feet and hope about our feet as well. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. How many of us could use some peace and salvation today? I know I can. The news that the God of Israel, Jesus Christ the Lord, reigns. It's my prayer for this community that we might be a community that has beautiful feet. That we're not worried about wearing socks and shoes to church because we know no matter how long our toenails might be, no matter how small, how big, whatever, that our feet are beautiful because we carry with us the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'll leave you with this question today. The praise team's gonna come out. I invite you to worship in God's presence. What holds you back from sharing the gospel. I look different for you, for me. Some of us really resonate with the entrusted steward. Others of us really resonate with the gentle mother. Others resonate with the wise father. Whatever it is, I invite you to share the gospel. 
whatever relationship, whatever place that you find yourself in. That those around us, this world, our community, those inside this physical space and those outside this physical space will come to know the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Hey God, it's another week. We've gathered as, as a community. We've looked at a, at a passage where, where Paul's he's bringing receipts, saying, hey, this is how I live. Don't you know this gospel is so precious to me? I love you as a mother. I love you as a father. God, I pray in this community, this thing we call Elevate, this thing we call Keene Church, 76059, Johnson County, the footprint that we have, God, may your gospel be lived out in this place. God, may your gospel be lived out in our lives that our hearts might be transformed so that we can know who you are and share you with those around us. God, may we be able to look back to know we're serving you. And that's it. All we're doing is seeking your glory, seeking your authority, seeking your gospel, God. So today, whatever holds us back, may you remove that hindrance in our lives. Help us think about it. Ruminate on it, God. Bring it up in our consciousness this week so that we might know how to better carry your good news of peace and salvation to those around us. God, we love you. Looking forward to seeing you soon. In your name I pray. Amen. I pray that just as we talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, that I would also have the courage to declare God's good news to the world very boldly. I look forward to hearing slash seeing you later this week. We will be releasing another episode of Elevate Retake where Pastor Michael will sit down and dig a little bit deeper into what exactly he means and what receipts he will be showing us as we dig even deeper into our series, Rethinking Church. I strongly urge you to continue listening and I hope you enjoyed this message. Thank you so much for supporting the ministry of Elevate.